0: Lord, we thank you that the invitation has gone out to whosoever will come, drink the river, the water of life freely. Father, we look to you, God, to anoint this time with your presence. Lord, we look to you To anoint this time through your spirit. God, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place. We seek to honor you. We seek to, to love you. We seek to just be open, Lord Jesus, to the ministry of your spirit in our life. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. A heart willing to receive. That we would just be clay, soft, pliable in the hands of the master potter. Make us and mold us into the image of your son. And we'll give you all the glory and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of us tonight are already aware that there are times God calls us to go through hard things? (laughs) Not a newsflash, huh? If you open up the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 38, we're going to see Jeremiah have a little deja vu. The stuff that we're going to read in Jeremiah chapter 38 already happened to him once. It's round two for him. Round two, dealing kind of with the same kind of stuff. Keep in mind, Jeremiah is a prophet called of God the same time as Daniel. Everybody's with me with Daniel, right? Daniel's over in Babylon. The same time as Ezekiel. Ezekiel's also over in Babylon ministering to those who have already gone into captivity. And actually quite a few of the other prophets are still at this time ministering the same words. But Jeremiah, he's called to a tough ministry. He's called to ministry right there in Jerusalem. In about 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel. And he set up Zedekiah as king. At the time, Zedekiah was pretty into Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it's kind of a cool deal, nice gig to just be, you know, one of the the guys, one of the counselors of the nation and have the king that just conquered the land, come to you and say, well, you're going to be king now. So at the moment that that happens, Zedekiah is with him. He's, he's with Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> he's going to just be that, that puppet, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar and, and leading the people. But as soon as the Babylonians go back, Zedekiah starts to listen to all his counselors, all the politicians, all the people there who are telling him, we got to throw off the yoke of the Babylonians. They're telling him that God's going to give him the victory. They're telling him that if we make a deal with Egypt and Egypt sides with us, then we're going to experience a victory. And for each one of those situations, God spoke to Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah went and he told him time after time, put down your weapons. Set down your sword. The judgment that you're facing right now is from my hands. You cannot win You don't get to go around it. You don't get to go over it. This is something that you got to go through. This is something that you're going to have to walk through. And I'm always reminded, when I consider the ministry of Jeremiah, I'm reminded of the psalmist. In the 23rd Psalm, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He don't stop. He does not hang out. He's not camping. He's going through it. But he's not going around it. He's got to go through And so Jeremiah was telling the people, You have to go through. You will be captives of the Babylonians. Period. So the Lord said, Set down your swords and live. Stop fighting and get married and have children, raise a family, build a home, make a life. Because even in the midst of all that stuff that's going on, God's counsel to them is to have a life. Live. Live. Zedekiah is okay with that until he starts listening to all the politicians. And he starts listening to all their advice. And the next thing you know, he has begun a revolt and Nebuchadnezzar is coming back. Now Nebuchadnezzar lines up his armies out there And Jeremiah comes and he says, guys, you're going to lose, you're going to lose. But what, unbeknownst to some of the other guys and some of the people in the town, Zedekiah had made a pact with Egypt and Egypt's coming against Babylon. And so Babylon sets up their first siege, or actually their second siege, of, of Jerusalem to conquer Jerusalem again. And all of a sudden they withdraw. And Zedekiah is like, woohoo, we're going to win, man. The Egypt's coming. The Babylonians are leaving. We're going we're to win. But what did the word of the Lord say? The word of the Lord said, no matter what you do, you're going to lose. So they took Jeremiah and they threw him in a pit because he kept sharing this word. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. Lay down your weapons. Stop fighting. They threw him in a pit and they pulled him out and Zedekiah has a private audience with jeremiah he said jeremiah tell me has the lord told you anything and jeremiah said yeah yeah the lord told me that even if your armies were to wound every man in the babylonian army they would still take the city and they will still burn it and you will still lose and zedekiah listened to him Jeremiah pleaded not to get thrown back into the pit he was in. So so Zedekiah in a moment of mercy put him in the court of the prison. And that's where we find him in chapter 38. At least for a moment. He's in the court of the prison. <clears throat> but Jeremiah can't be quiet, right? Jeremiah already told us he got tired of telling everybody what the Lord told him, so he just decided he wasn't going to speak anymore. We remember I'm not going to speak anymore. And he said the word of God was like fire in his belly. He had to share. He had to speak. He had to talk about what God was telling him and what God was laying out for him. So in Jeremiah chapter 38, it begins that way with Jeremiah sharing what God had said. Let's look at chapter 38, verse 1. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan... Gildaliah, the son of Pashur, and and Jukal, the son of Shelmiah, and Pashur, the son of Melkiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city will die by the sword, by famine, or by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans will live, and his life will be as a prize to him and he shall live. For thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princes said to the king, Please let this man be put to death. Those four guys that were introduced to in the beginning, that's the wise counsel for Zedekiah. These are the guys who are saying to Zedekiah what the Lord said they would say. Well, if you remember, the Lord said in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, that they have healed the hurt of my daughter, the people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These guys are telling Zedekiah, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Now, they already know at this moment that Egypt has been turned back. When the Babylonians withdrew, they turned the force of their army toward Egypt. Egypt met them momentarily and then went back home. Because Babylon was the most powerful army on the face of the earth. And they were that because that's how God called them to be. They were the head of gold, remember? The most powerful government in terms of the, the ability of the king to rule and reign that of any kingdom the earth saw. They were the head of gold. Every kingdom after that somehow diminished in power all the way down to, to the Rome and the iron legs and the and the, the feet and the ten toes with iron mixed with clay. Each one is less, not less brutal, not less against the, the things of the Lord, but less powerful. Nebuchadnezzar, man, what he said happened. That's why he was so moved with pride. But Daniel had a way of reaching into his heart. Zedekiah, the guy trying to reach Zedekiah, that's Jeremiah. On one hand, back in Babylon, Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar, it's the Lord God who's given you all these things. Honor the Most High. Back in Jerusalem, it's Jeremiah saying to Zedekiah, stop fighting. Every time he would choose to fight, more people would die. More families would be left without fathers, mothers, children. People were dying of starvation, dying by the sword, dying by illness, all because one man would not succumb to the word of the prophet. One man wouldn't listen. So the wise men who are talking to him, when they hear Jeremiah, they go to the king and they say, hey, Zedekiah, let's kill him. Let's kill him. I'm tired of hearing him talk, constantly talk about these things. Folks, our world is not all that much different, and it's not going to be very long. How long ago was it a couple of weeks when Kurt Cameron is just giving an interview about something else he's doing, totally separate from any agenda with the homosexual community he's asked a flippant question about how he feels about homosexuality and he answers it honestly do you think the world's tired of hearing the christian position in in response to homosexual lifestyle do you think the world's tired of hearing the christian position in in accordance with abortion do you think the world's tired of hearing the Word of God and what God's Word teaches in terms of how to be righteous and how to be obedient to what His Word calls us to be. Jesus said it would be that way. They don't want to hear anymore. And it's going to grow, just like for Jeremiah, it's going to grow more and more hostile. You want to know what it will be like? Look at France. Look at England. Post-Christian nations. One time they were responsible for huge revivals. Look at Germany. Look at the work of God that happened in in these countries that today, virtually silent, though God always has a remnant, it's quiet. It's quiet because God's people are either silenced, left, or turned their back on faith. Here comes the persecution to Jeremiah. What's he going to do? They say, please let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city. I don't want you to lose sight of that. People were listening to what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, if you stay, you'll die. If you go over to the Babylonians, you'll live. And the people were leaving. Guys in the army were laying down their sword and going. There is a time to be obedient to the word of God and disobedient to the people who rule over you. There is a time. Jeremiah said, those who go. So these guys say, oh, the... The army that's left to us, man, they're they're getting weak. They don't want to fight no more, because they keep hearing the pro- they keep hearing the prophet say the word of God, and they don't like it. It robs them of their ability to be in rebellion against him. So they want to silence the prophet. Well, which of the prophets didn't they want to silence? They want to silence the prophet. You see, they. They want a God of mercy. But they don't want a God of justice. They want a father who loves them. They don't want a father who disciplines. They want a God that will give them victory. But they don't want a God who allows suffering. But all of those things are part of who God is. You don't get to pick one piece. We take all. But you see, what they've done is broken the commandments. And the commandments didn't, didn't, in the Ten Commandments, didn't the Lord say, Thou shalt make no graven images? They've made God in their own image. Or maybe they didn't build a statue, but they took the image of God. And they corrupted it. And they made him weak and they made him bend to their will rather than bending their knee to him. The scripture declares to us, and we studied in Matthew last week, that the stones which the builders had rejected had become the chief of the corner. Everybody remember? And there's two things that will happen on that stone one, you will fall on it and be broken. Two, it will fall on you and crush you to powder. Do you remember the end of Jeremiah's dream? or not Jeremiah, sorry, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The statue, head of gold, chest of silver, uh, waist, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet with iron mixed with clay. You remember how it ended? A stone, not cut with hands from the heavens, smashes this statue, grinds it to powder. And then grows until it becomes, it fills the whole earth. The stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief of the corner. It's Jesus Christ. Either will fall on him and be broken. Or he will crush to powder. He will grind. Well here as we, we look at the scriptures, they've taken this God. They've taken him and, and they've con- contorted him into an image that they like doing the things that they want, bringing them peace and giving them victory and and all those things, but never having to deal with their sin. And so listen, he said, The hands of all the people are also weakened by speaking such words to them. Listen to this, the last part of verse 4. For this man does not seek the welfare of the people, but their harm. Is that true? Man, he's the only one who cares about the people. The king only cares about whether or not everybody respects him, about whether or not the, the people who are in the know, you know, are on his side, all his advisors. That's what they, they care about. They don't care about the people. Do you really think as we climb up the, the, the ranks of politics today that the, that the politicians care about the people? Hey, town politics maybe is different. But I don't know about I don't know about our senators and congressmen if they're thinking about us or or about re-election. I don't know about uh, the president. I don't know I don't know about those who do they care about the people? But God does. God cares about the people. He cares that the people would live, doesn't he? When he took the children of Israel and he brought them to the Valley of Decision and he shouted the curses uh, on one side and the blessings on the other and the people stood in the middle and the Lord said to them, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. God doesn't want to destroy anybody. He says, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but the wicked would turn, repent, and live. That's where he has glory. All oh, heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. You know what the scripture declares to us? They don't all glory when one is destroyed. When somebody finally gets what they deserve, the heavens erupt because one person is saved. Jeremiah cares about the people. That's why he's telling them, stop fighting. It's okay to say that. I feel that way. You want to know the God's honest truth? I'm a Marine through and through, but I'm sick of watching people die for nothing, for some politician somewhere, for, I don't don't know. I've lost sight of what the fight is for. Once upon a time, I was there. I don't get it. I don't get I don't get why we, we send them to just be sacrificed. For who? For what? My lost sight of the the purpose in all that. It's okay to say. Bring the boys home. Who says they gotta die? Lay down. We, have, we learned What does history teach us? History teaches us that man does not learn from history. Are we the first people ever to be in Afghanistan and fight against the Afghanis? No. In the 80s, Russia was doing it. And the people we're fighting now, we gave the weapons they shoot us with. Because we were supporting them when they were fighting the Russians. But now that we're there, now we're fighting them. Did the Russians fare any better than us? No. Stop fighting. That's what Jeremiah was saying. Stop fighting. There's nothing to be won there. Nothing to be won. So Jeremiah's called to put down their weapons. The people declare, he doesn't seek our welfare. He's not a patriot. He's a traitor. I mean, isn't that what they would say if if any of us were to rise up and say, surrender? Surrender? Oh, we can't surrender. You die. Fight to the last man. That's not what God was telling them. So Zedekiah the king said, look, he's in your hand, for you, or for the king can do nothing against you. Wow, he's powerful, right? Makes all the decisions. So here's Zedekiah, facing these four guys, and he does a pilot. I wash my hands, you see to it. In essence, that's the same thing he's saying to these guys in regard to to Jeremiah. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Melchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. They let Jeremiah down with ropes in the dungeon. There was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. They put him in a hole full of mud. You always wondered, huh? Mama used to say... Your room looks like a pigsty is full of muck and mire. I'm not sure why muck and mire go together, but they must be similar. So I imagine he's sunk in the muck and mire. No water, no food, in a pit full of mud. Because as we've been studying on Sunday morning, this is how the nation treated the servants of God who brought the Word of God to the people who brought the invitation to the wedding. Who came and and wanted to share with them the love of God and how to get on track with the Lord and and find yourself in His blessing. This is what they did to Him. These are the kind of things that occurred. But the psalmist would write in in Psalm 69, if you guys want to just jaunt over there with me, all of God's people... Prophet, priest, or king at one time or another. They've dealt with these same things. Uh, the being lowered down in the muck and the mire. The garbage going on around them. Listen to what David wrote in, in Psalm 69. <clears throat> verse 1 and 2 first. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. <laughs> Pastor Gerald used to tell us when, when Cindy died... It was kind of a hard time. I know you guys all can relate to for when Brent passed. And uh, when Cindy died, he used to say he felt like he was at the ocean. And he'd look out into the ocean and he, a huge tidal wave was coming. And he would say, this is the one. It's finally going to take me out. Finally, it's, I'm finally going to be drowned by this wave. And he said the wave would hit and there'd be all this chaos and confusion and craziness you know tumbling not knowing whether to swim up or down and the next thing you know it'd pop up pretty soon he'd be able to stand again there in his waist and he'd look out and see another wave coming sometimes that's how it is Sometimes that's how it is. that, isn't that, looks into what the psalmist said in verse one and two. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. There's no standing. I've come into deep waters where floods overflow me. I mean, isn't that what he's saying? Isn't the psalmist saying, I've been there? I understand what it's like. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Looking for the deliverance, but there's another wave coming. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hair of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. He's like, I'm wrong and they're right. Everything I do, I don't understand. But then you come to verse 5. Oh God, you know my foolishness. My sin is not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. Man, he's like, I, I remember when Cindy was, was first diagnosed with cancer, one of the first things she said was, I want to be a good witness. That's what the psalmist is saying. Lord, don't let him be confounded because of me. He's despairing. He's crying out to God, but he wants to be a good example. He wants to come up and face the next wave with the strength of God. He wants to overcome that next thing, whatever it is. The enemies are too mighty. It's not a stranger to David, right? He fought Goliath. He faced enemies that were too mighty for him. So will every one of us. So will we all. David's call is, Lord, let me. I don't want to drown in the water. Let me be that good witness. Because of your sake, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. He's saying, listen, because of my witness with you, because I love you, they hate me. Isn't that what Jesus said it was going to be? But that's what he's saying, because I love you, they hate me. I became, or I become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Jesus said, unless you love me and hate your mother and father and and all those other members of your family, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about us hating them. He's talking about our love for Christ being that thing which separates us. That's it. We may love him with our entire family. Praise the Lord. Those of us who have family members who aren't saved know that Jesus Christ is a dividing line. There comes a point where your love for Christ will separate you from those who don't believe. There comes a time. Jesus said, think I I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For the enemies of a man will be those of his own house. That's what the psalmist is saying. My, my own brother is a stranger. I'm an alien to my mother. The, 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 these relationships, speaking of those close, tied relationships, are, are being tested. Why? Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. You ever had people say, why in the world do you go to church all the time? What is wrong with you? i you Go Sunday. That's good. I get it. But, you know, certainly don't go twice. And, and forget all that Bible studies and all that stuff. Come on, there's stuff that you got to do. The psalmist said, zeal for your house has eaten me up. A desire to be wherever God's presence was. That's why we gather. Because we want to be where God's presence is. God's presence can be a lot of places. But it's really easy for God's presence to be here. It's hard for God's presence to be on the golf course. Why? Because he can be there all the way up to my first drive. And then the devil comes. <laughs> my attitude goes south. And no, man, I want to be, I come here among the brethren. And we gather together and we sing praises and we lift our arms. Don't you feel the presence of God? Feel the presence of God in our praises. Feel the presence of God in our midst zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you fall on me folks that's a good place to be in the muck and the mire jesus said a servant is not greater than his master they hated me they'll hate you it's okay it's okay when i wept and chastened my soul with fasting that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. It's all the, the gossip and the talk and the stories. You, ever, you know people are talking about? You walk into a room, people are talking and laughing, and you walk in and they all get quiet? <laughs> I don't want to burst your bubble, but you were the butt of whatever the joke was. The drunkards are singing songs about you. doesn't matter. Just stuff. But as for me, my prayer is to you. O oh Lord, in the acceptable time, O oh God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. And listen to verse 14. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep water. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Do you hear that? The psalmist like Jeremiah is just calling out to God to make me strong enough to bear the burden that you've called me to bear. To bear my cross. To Enter into the fellowship of suffering with Jesus Christ. Because it's it's a necessary part of the life of the believer, for we are made mature in the furnace of affliction. It's how we work. It's okay. It's not pleasant. It's not easy. But it's good. It's good even being up to your neck in the mire. Well, listen, they sink Jeremiah down in. It says in verse 7, we're introduced to the hero of the story in chapter 38. Now, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard what they had done, that they put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed Melech went out to the king's house and spoke to the king. Well, sometimes we can just gloss over stuff like this. So Ebed Melech may not be this guy's name. Ebed Melech means the servant of the king. He's an Ethiopian. He's a Cushite. He's a Gentile. He's a eunuch. He could never enter into the house of God or enter into worship because... He's a eunuch. He's not able to to enter in. He's not perfect. He has a blemish. The reality is we all have blemishes, but, but most of us won't recognize that. He can't enter in. He can't do those things, but he's heard the word of Jeremiah the prophet, and all he is is a slave, just a slave. He has no position, no authority, nothing special. Life is hard everywhere. The people are starving right and left. The the siege is causing all kinds of problems. He easily could have said, I got my own problems to deal with. I got my own problems. But he heard Jeremiah was put in a dungeon and he went to the king. To me, this is every bit as exciting a story as the story of Esther going before the king. He could have went before the king. He's a slave. What right does he have to talk to the king? The king could easily have said, off with your head. Who are you? But he feels the call, the pull of God directing him, and he steps out, and he's obedient to that call, and he seeks the king, and he's going to tell the king what for. He spoke to the king in verse 9. It says, my lord, the king, these men have done evil. In all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, he's likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. This slave goes in on Jeremiah's behalf. And when I think about that, I think about Jesus. Who was going the bath for him? Who were the last ones to leave the cross? Them women. Especially I think of Mary Magdalene, that sinner. That harlot. That one that they Jesus should have known what kind of person she was and never let her touch him. But there she was. Couldn't do nothing else. She didn't leave his side. Jesus said to the Pharisees, surely tax collectors and harlots will enter into the kingdom of heaven before you. Just like here, Jeremiah thrown in. Is it it the, the wealthy, the rich, the good, the people everybody look up to that come to his aid? No, it's a slave, eunuch, and nobody cares about. Has no value other than the price of a slave. And he comes and speaks to the king, and the king listens to him. The king listens to him unreal the king commanded ebed melech the ethiopian saying take from here 30 men and lift jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies we don't know how long he's down there we don't know What we do know is when ebed melech went to the king he said he could die and the idea behind what he's saying is you know any time so how long he spent down in the muck and the mire, we don't know. In the dark, looking up, looking for the deliverance of God. Just like the psalmist said, I'm looking for him. I'm looking to see him, his deliverance. But sometimes the del- deliverance doesn't come to deliver you from, but to deliver you through. Sometimes he's going to deliver you through. That means to will give you enough strength to take the next step. Enough strength to get up one more morning. Enough strength to see the salvation of your God. And for the muscles of your back to grow stronger. And the muscles of your prayer life. To take root. And your spirit to rise above. When God is able God is able to do abundantly above. Well, they take 30 men. You ever try to pull a man up to his neck out of the mud? <laughs> I got a truck stuck up to the neck in the mud. And I, there was one man pulled it out Jason. I don't know if that counts as one man or several. He's on all four just digging my truck out of the mud. I stood there watching, being yelled at for my wife because I wasn't supposed to go in the mud in the first place. I don't think that, was <laughs> I, that was muck. That was muck. But so they take 30 men to get him. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon of Jeremiah. Now Ebed-Melech is so loving that he thinks about how hard this is going to be on Jeremiah, this old fellow stuck in the mud. So he goes and gathers up a bunch of rags. And he lowers them down to him. And Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. So Jeremiah did it. You just see the love and care, the grace of Ebed-Melech, he thinks about all these things. I might have been so excited to go get him, I wouldn't even have thought about the ropes tearing him apart as they are trying to pull him out of the mud. But Ebed-Melech did. Now, as you're thinking about Ebed-Melech, it says, so they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes, lifted him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. You've just about read everything there is to read about Ebed-Melech. Well, I said just about. Chapter 39, if you just look over on the next page, chapter 39, at verse 15, listen to this. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in, the de- in the, that day before you. He's saying, You're going to see all the things I said are going to happen, are going to happen. But I will deliver you in that day, said the Lord. And you will not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you and you will not fall by the sword but your life will be as a prize to you because you put your trust in me. I love that. I love that Ebed Melech, anything could have happened to him but he puts his trust in the Lord. He goes and he does the thing. The scripture says God will not be a debtor to no man. God's going to save him just like he saved Jeremiah. And he's not going to turn him over to people he's afraid of. And he's going to keep him because he trusts in the Lord. The Bible says that God is immutable, that means he does not change. If God honors Ebed-Melech for trusting in him, will he honor you less if you trust in him? Will he honor you less if you believe him more than you believe the counselors that come? Will he honor you less than him? I won't turn you over to those who you're afraid of. I will deliver you. Man, I love that God does that for Ebed-Melech. Well, Zedekiah is not quite done with Jeremiah. He's about to be, though. He only has about a chapter and a half left. Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him in the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I want to ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Now, I would be uh, disinclined to acquiesce. I like that phrase. I learned it in Pirates of the Caribbean. Don't tell nobody. But I would not want to do what he asked. I'd like to say, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And I'd like to say it that way one day. I'm disinclined to acquiesce. But anyways, I don't know if that I'll get to. We'll see. Come ask me for something tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I'll say it. So he says, I will ask something from you. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you to the hand of these men who will seek your life. So he promises not to kill him, but he does not promise to listen. You notice that? I won't kill you, but I don't promise I'm going to listen. I want you to hear the heart of God in this prophecy. So Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord the God of hosts, the God of Israel. Listen, if you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. The city will not be burned with fire and you and your house will live. Wow. He just told Zedekiah, none of your family is gonna die. The city won't be burned. People won't be slaughtered if you give up. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then the city will be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They will burn it with fire, and you will not escape from their hand. Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, But I'm afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. He's afraid of those who have fled to Babylon. He's afraid that they're going to be mad at him because he kind of brought all this stuff on because he won't listen to what God has said to him. So Jeremiah said, they will not deliver you. Listen to this. Listen to the pleading of God as he holds out the invitation to Zedekiah. Please obey the voice of the Lord which I speak to you. So it will be well with you and your soul shall live. Please, Zedekiah, please don't go. Please don't turn your back on the word of the Lord. Please don't ignore God's counsel. Please come and find rest. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house will be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And Those women will say, your close friends. See that phrase, close friends? Or maybe you have something like that. Listen, what it really is, the, the literal translation, I guess, your men of peace have set upon you. Remember what we shared in Jeremiah eight eleven: those who heal my people slightly by saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's the idea, those guys, your counselors, those people who, who were there, those people who, who guided you in, in disobeying what God had said. They have set upon you and prevailed against you and your feet have sunk in the mire and they have turned away again. You ever notice when you follow somebody's advice and it just goes south, how they're hard to find for a while? <laughs> or maybe somebody encourages you to do something you ought not do and you get in trouble over it and, and you don't see them for a little bit. These guys are giving them all this advice, but after it all crumbles and it falls and the city's burned, they're gone. They're not standing by Zedekiah saying, oh, bro, it's, we're sorry, you know, we're, we're like friends that stick closer than a brother. No, man, they're beating feet. They're running as fast as they can. They don't care about Zedekiah. But here the God of the universe is pleading with him. That just boggles my mind. The God who spoke and it happened. Creation came to be. That, That God through the prophet is begging a sinner to listen. That is a heart. Of a God who has no glory in the destruction of the wicked. But that the wicked would turn and live. There he is. So they will surrender all your wives and your children to the Chaldeans. And you will not escape from their hand. But shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon. And you shall cause the city to be burned with fire. How many people are going to die? that's unreal it's unreal I think about that and I think how many people have already died our society and our secretary of state is traveling from country to country to preach about the acceptance of the practice of abortion around the world that's who we have become the ambassador for It's unreal. How many people? How many people? Mind-boggling the numbers. But here's Zedekiah. (laughs) What what must good men do that evil would triumph? Nothing. They don't have to do a thing. What did God's prophets do? They spoke. They spoke. Hey, we're not going to change nothing by, I don't believe, by having picket signs and being on the news. You're going to change things one life at a time. by just talking to one person. When we talk to one person and they turn and they change their ways, they give their life to Christ, now there's two of us. And we're each going to go talk to one person, but we just doubled our effort. That's how the world is going to be evangelized. It's not going to be evangelized because we had a huge crowd. Jesus had lots of huge crowds. (laughs) Lots of them. But in the end, in the upper room, there was 120 gathered. One life at a time. Jeremiah, did, he didn't have a, a, a website. He didn't have some movie or... He just talked to people that walked by. He didn't even have loudspeaker. He just spoke one life at a time always been god's way well scripture says and zedekiah said to jeremiah let no one know of these words and you will not die so he's already going back on his word okay jeremiah i promise if you tell me i won't okay but if you tell anybody what you said to me then i'm going to kill you knuckleheads are always knuckleheads no matter what you do <clears throat> So if the princes hear that I have talked with you and they come to you and say, declare to us now what you said to the king and also what the king said to you, do not hide it from us and we will put you or we will not put you to death. Thus you will say to them, I presented my request to the king that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. And all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him and he told them according to all these words. <laughs> he lied. You ever so afraid of the muck and mire that you'll do anything to keep from going there? That's where he's at. That's what's going on with him. Well, Scripture says, Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken. And he was there when Jerusalem was taken. Jeremiah stays in the corner of the prison. He's going to watch the whole city destroyed. He's going to watch people die. Zedekiah is not going to listen to the word of Jeremiah. So thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are going to perish. And every one of his children is going to be brought in front of him and killed before his eyes. And then Nebuchadnezzar is going to poke out his eyes, burn out his eyes... So that the last thing he ever saw on the face of the earth was his children dying. But God said, please, listen to me. Please, turn and live and your whole house will be spared. That's no different, the message is no different today. Repent and live Or hold on to what you think is so important and watch it all unravel. Message is the same. The servants bringing the message are treated the same. And the phrase that Jesus left us with this morning is still true, right? Many are called, few are chosen. We're going to close out tonight with a time of prayer. And I just encourage you, as the Spirit moves, the Spirit leads you, pray. No race, no place we got to be, no thing we got to do. If God lays something on your heart, I encourage you to pray. If the Lord gives you a word, I encourage you to share the word. If we want to experience the, the Spirit of God moving in our life, you got to learn to exercise your spiritual muscles and allow God to do His thing. That's what Sunday night's for. Just allow God to do His thing. If the Lord puts a scripture on your heart, share it with us. If you think God gave you a word, give it. No shame. It's nothing to worry about. We're believers. It's a body of Christ. It's okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to come before you. We thank you for tonight and the truth of your word, God. I pray we would allow it to just penetrate into our hearts, God, and that we would learn the same burden for the loss that you have. That the God of the universe would beg God, just help me to have that desire to humble myself to share your message. To not worry about being thought a fool. Paul said, I would gladly be a moron for Christ. It's not about me. But it is about you. It is about your message. God, I just pray that you would give and instill within us a desire to see men saved, to share the truth of God with friends and neighbors, to not sweat all the craziness going on around the world and just worry about crossing the street. Just worry about talking to the guy pumping gas across from us. Just looking for an opportunity to show I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit. People come to Buell and the area here in southern Idaho and, and they say, Oh, Mormons everywhere. Man, there's lost people everywhere. Everywhere. Houses are filled with people. They don't go anywhere, they don't believe anything. They're in the highways and the byways. And you told us to go. He told us to go make disciples of all men. Everywhere. And Lord, I just pray that we would have that fire in our heart like Jeremiah. That I just can't be quiet. I got to tell you. I got to tell you what, what God has done for you. The opportunity to live that God is giving you. Please. Believe. God, I pray that you would do such a revival in these last days. God, I just want to see the lost saved. I want to see lives changed. But it's not. It's going to happen one on one. Me, you, we, brothers and sisters. Just talking, just sharing the truth of God's word. Lord, just do a work. Change our neighborhoods, change our towns, change our communities. Pour out your spirit in such a way, Lord, that we can't believe it. I know you want to. I know you're willing. Make us willing to be your hands and feet. We thank you for the opportunities.